Uh, today we're in the 12th part of Ecclesiastes, and so we've got just a couple of chapters left, and we'll bid farewell uh, to Mr. Solomon and all the information that we've gotten here in Ecclesiastes. And uh, so it's, uh, it's hard to think about, uh, especially in the events of today that, uh, that have uh, affected the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And uh, when one part hurts, uh, we all hurt. And so it's, uh, it's, it's hard to think about uh, talking about wisdom today and uh, in the midst of uh, the tragedy that's taking place over in San Antonio. And so, um, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about this today as best we can in light of uh, knowing what is going on. Uh, but I, I do want to implore you and to encourage you and uh, to spend some time tonight and tomorrow and uh, just before the Lord, just praying for comfort and uh, praying for um, uh, just understanding in those situations that are unfathomable. I mean, it's so difficult to comprehend how to respond and how to process things like that. But uh, we have the Holy Spirit, and uh, so we have the ability uh, through His ministry to discern those things. And so I just want to make sure that uh, we keep that before us. Uh, as we get into Ecclesiastes chapter 10 tonight, uh, just wanna, I want you to think about, you know, one of the things that Solomon really spends a great deal of time on is having uh, wisdom versus folly. And if you think about wisdom and you think about uh, what we would discern wisdom is, it's uh, being wise and making the right choices. And so it's having the information uh, that's before you. And so uh, as we uh, talk about this tonight. I want us to to imagine uh, this this parallel or this uh, opposites, uh, if you will, that Solomon lays before us tonight with wisdom and with folly. Now, I, if I were to poll the audience tonight and were to ask you uh, the things in which you know, you would all be astounded by the amount of information that you possess. You would be astounded not only about the amount of information that you possess, but you would be uh, astonished by what type of information you possess. For instance, uh, I would imagine with uh, as many people that are in the room, if I were to ask you, uh, and I don't know the answer to this, but if I were to ask you who was the latest winner on The Voice, somebody would probably know the answer to that question. Or if I were to ask you, uh, you know, what happened last night on Will of Fortune, somebody would probably know that answer. You know, guys typically lean towards uh, sports information. So, for instance, uh, for me, I could tell you uh, who played in the World Series this year, of course. Last year, I could tell you that. Uh, go Cubs, right? I could tell you uh, who was in the Super Bowl last year. Uh, I could tell you uh, growing up, I could tell you many things Pretty much anything you'd want to know about the NBA and who played for who and who played for the Cubs growing up. I mean, I can tell you all that stuff. Atlanta Braves, you know, who played for the Braves, where are they today? I mean, I, I can tell you a lot of that stuff. I can tell you stats about sports, and most of the guys in the room probably say the same thing. Uh, I could tell you uh, all kind of stats. Uh, I could tell you how fast the shortstop threw the ball from shortstop to first uh, for the Chicago Cubs in the 1990s, uh, Sean Dunstan. I, I could tell you all those things. Who was the, what was the nickname? My point is that I'm getting to is this, is that we all possess a ton of knowledge. For instance, how many of you use pi, which you learned in school, in your everyday job? 
Not many people, right? But that was very important when you were in school. Uh, or any other, as a matter of fact, uh, item of information that you learn. If you study the uh, history of education, and uh, Henry Ford had a lot to do with that in influencing how the education system set up, which hasn't changed since then. Uh, but if you look at that, uh, the way that the system is set up, and the information which we retain, it's uniform, right? Uh, for instance, when I was in uh, junior college, I learned how to dissect a frog. How often do you think I apply that information? Not much. So, you know, we learn all of this information, and we, we have all of this information, but how much of it do we really use? How much of it is very informative? Uh, case in point, it is one of the, you know, conversations of our education system is how many people don't use the degree that they went to school to get. And so you may have a degree in math or physics or sociology or whatever it may be, and yet most people get the, they end up in a field, uh, in, in especially in today's economy, uh, that they didn't go to school for. And so we have all of this information that's before us. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, one of the most, uh, I guess, you know, biggest parts of this is that when you think about uh, the advent of information today, Daniel said... Uh, that in the last days that information will increase and uh, we will move more rapidly to and fro. So if you look at the last 100 years, look at how much information really has progressed. A uh, hundred years ago would be 1917, two years after the Titanic. So look at what we've done as, uh, as humanity from, from 1917 till today. I mean, look at the word Google has become a verb. It was a website. Now it's become part of our everyday vernacular. Hey, do you know the answer to what pie is? Well, sure, just Google it. You can even ask Siri. She'll tell you. And she gets her information from where? From the Internet. So my point is this, is that we have all of this information. And in the information age in which we live, we possess a lot of useless knowledge. We have so much information. We can know absolutely anything about anybody, about anywhere, about anything at any moment. I mean, you know, when uh, Natalie's bringing some uh, schoolwork home and she's asking questions about different math stuff, and I deal with numbers all day long. And so, you know, their, their math is a little bit different than real world stuff. And uh, so she's asking questions, and so guess what I did? I just Googled it. And all of a sudden, I've got all the information. I said, what do you want to know? And so, boom, I've got all this information right in front of me. But, you know, what information do we actually apply today? How do we use that information? So the question that we ask as we start tonight is this. Is has the knowledge that we have obtained, has that equated into a life better lived? You know, we read books, and, of course, there's you know, all types of information that is out there. Of course, you know, now you can get uh, Kindle and, you know, Amazon's got all these books that you can read. And so all this information's out there. And all of this ingestion or this income of information that we're getting, what are we doing with that? Is it making our lives better? As I was thinking about that, I, I thought about uh, Brazil. You know, we as a church get to spend a lot of time down there. And, uh, you know, it's uh, such a relational people and, uh, you know, the, the language of love knows no barriers. And so if you don't speak their language, uh, God's love transcends that barrier. And so, you know, we go down and we spend time in Brazil. 
And I think about uh, our time in Brazil, and Wi-Fi is pretty scarce down there, so it's not, it's not very uh, available. It, it blows their mind that we can drive down the road and be on the Internet. That's just fascinating to them. Uh, but you go to Brazil, specifically where we go in Jacare, and you see that there's very little, if any, sewer system there. Most of the sewage comes out into the street and just runs down the road to the bottom of the hill. That's their sewer system. Uh, or running water. Very, very few places there have running water. Most of the villages that we go to do not have running water. So in a lot of those places, you'll see uh, big uh, basins or big tubs of water. And just simply by gravity, that's how they have water coming down into uh, their house or to their huts. And so I thought about, as I was thinking about this, you know, has the advent of more information changed our lives and made it any better? And I thought about Brazil. And I thought about the fact that there are some people that live in the town uh, that have cell phones that don't work very well, but they have them. Some of them have televisions. A couple of them do. And so here is, here is modern technology, flat screen television, cell phone, but yet we don't have sewer or running water. And so the information that's available, they're not limited to that information. They're just not taking that information and using it. So the same thing could be said spiritually. How many sermons, think about your life and your church attendance, how many sermons have you ever heard? I mean, just think of this year. I mean, we're in November. If you come to church, you know, three times a month, four times a month. And think of all the messages that you've heard, close to 50 messages maybe this year. All of the sermons that you've heard, all of the uh, Christian music that you've listened to. Has that equated into a closer walk with the Lord? I mean, we're, we are gluttons for information, and so we've got all this information. So what are we doing with this information? You see, knowledge without application is useless information. You've heard that before. Knowledge without in, uh, application is simply useless information. And so if we're obtaining all of this knowledge and obtaining all of this information, and we're not applying that, well, then was it really worth learning in the first place? So Solomon, what he's doing here is, as we've trekked through uh, the first ten chapters, or first nine chapters of Ecclesiastes, he's, he's talking to us about uh, this uh, back and forth of wisdom versus folly and saying, you know, here's what wisdom is and here's what folly is. A lot of it uh, bleeds over into Proverbs as well. And he's saying that if we have this information and yet we do nothing with this information, was it ever really worth us obtaining this information. And so for clarity tonight, then wisdom is simply the capacity of the mind to take knowledge and direct it towards understanding. So wisdom is, is not being smarter than someone else. Wisdom is not knowing more than someone else. Wisdom is having the information and then directing that information towards understanding or uh, in other words, towards applying that. So, you know, you can have all of the information available to you, but if you don't apply that information, well, Solomon says it like this in Proverbs 18, verse 2. He says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And so, again, as Solomon is paralleling uh, fools versus the wise, he says the fools take no pleasure in understanding. Their objective is not to take the information and to apply it. It's simply to spout off information. Remember I said a few weeks ago uh, that if we are to identify a problem and yet we don't offer a solution, did we ever really help the situation? 
And so oftentimes we, we find things that are wrong or uh, we see situations that could be better, but if we complain about them and yet don't offer a solution to correct them, did we change the situation? Did we apply knowledge or wisdom to the situation? And I would say probably not. And so what wisdom is, is it's simply the beginning of godly decision-making. Wisdom is the beginning of it because what wisdom does is it takes the information and it directs it into application or understanding, and then through uh, godly wisdom, we apply that information, and so it's the beginning of that. And so Solomon starts off in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and he gives us you know, the most random thing seemingly that we could ever imagine. This is what he says in uh, chapter 10 and verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Well, that's just a great start, right? You just, I mean, what in the world? So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. And so Solomon is talking about uh, how wisdom can be uh, tainted or how wisdom can be messed up by the folly uh, of a, a few different things he mentions here. And so tonight uh, we'll begin with decisions that are made apart from the wisdom of God. So we're going to talk about decisions that are made apart from the wisdom of God, and we're going to talk about decisions that are made with the wisdom of God. And we're going to look at the characteristics of both of those as we journey through the first uh, few verses here in chapter 10. And so what Solomon's doing is he begins by talking about uh, the dead fly. And so we're going to look at uh, these decisions that we make, and all of us are guilty of that. And so we'll just go ahead and get that out of the way, that we've all made bad decisions in the past, uh, that we presently have made uh, bad decisions, that we'll probably make some more bad decisions in the future. And so what I hope tonight is that what you'll leave with is some good questions uh, so I'm not going to give you, you know, there's not one answer to every wise choice, uh, but what you will have is some questions, some tests, if you will, that you can test the decision and you can test the situation in order to direct you to make a wise decision. And so, uh, again, first off, we'll look at the decisions that are made apart from the wisdom of God. What are the characteristics of decisions that were bad? Bad choices. You know, if you think back to the decisions that you've made in the past that you could go back and do over, you know, we've all made the comment, if I had that to do over again, I would, and you would make a different decision. And so as we look at that, there's common characteristics that are part of all of those wrong decisions or bad decisions that we've made that lend us more towards sin and away from godly wisdom. And so as he starts out with the dead flies, he said, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. And so the first thing that uh, bad decisions or decisions made apart from the wisdom of God do is they contaminate. You know, I mean, just think about what he starts off with. He said, uh, he's talking about this perfumer's ointment. Now, we just studied this morning, and if you study the word that he's using here uh, for uh, perfumer's ointment, it's the same word that's used in John chapter 12, which ironically we talked about this morning. And uh, in John chapter 12, uh, the Bible talks about Mary, and she anointed the feet of Jesus with this very expensive perfume. And what she, uh, the, the Bible says that uh, the, the smell or the odor of that filled the room. Now, that was a pleasant smell. 
uh, it, was, it was a smell that uh, beckoned the thought of, of worship, uh, as Pastor Tony uh, talked about this morning, and how uh, th- that had, it was not something that when they thought of uh, that smell that it repulsed them, but it was something that it reminded them of who Jesus is and what his goal or his objective or his purpose was for life. But here he's saying it the opposite. Solomon is saying that this ointment that was meant for something amazing and wonderful is actually contaminated with a stench that is not, it was not its original purpose. Now, if you think about the decisions that we've made in our lives, so oftentimes what happens when we make bad decisions is we contaminate the purposes that God has for our lives. You see, he, he says that these dead flies, they contaminate the perfume. We were on a trip one time, and uh, there was a little kitty area, a little kitty pool. And uh, so, you know, all the kids are in there, and they're having fun. And most of them, you know, have a kitty pool is very shallow water uh, for small kids to get in the water and, and have fun. And it was intended for people to enjoy, especially children. Uh, but sometimes children, uh, especially those with diapers, make bad decisions, right? And so we're at the kiddie pool, and all of a sudden, one of those children made a bad decision, and there was something that entered the water that was foreign to its intent, and all of a sudden, there was a contamination issue to which they evacuated the pool, and no one could enter the pool because it had been contaminated. Now, I really dressed that story up there good and nice for you. Uh, but you all know what I mean, right? And so here's, here's a child that contaminated by their decisions what was intended for good and what was intended for pleasure for the people uh, that were to participate in. And so, you know, when we think about these dead flies contaminating the perfume, that thought comes to mind is that perfume was never intended to be uh, negative, that it was never intended to have uh, this negative connotation or uh, repulsive thought to, but perfume is something that uh, is to dress up, to make better, to make smell better. And so as I thought about that, I began to think about flies. And so, you know, obviously references dead flies here. So I thought, well, you know, where do flies come from? Well, flies come from garbage. We'll get there in a minute hopefully. Flies come from garbage. I mean, flies, uh, you know, the average, I looked it up, here's useless information for you, the average fly lives for 28 days. Did you know that? I mean, who wants to know that, right? Unless you're ever on Jeopardy, does it even matter? Uh, But the average fly lasts for 28 days, and so I did a little more reading, so you're welcome. Uh, Flies, which are otherwise known as flying coffins, have been known to and can potentially carry more than 100 diseases. Well, that'll just bless your heart, right? Every time you see a fly, you say, well, look at there. There's a a 100 disease carrying machine right there. You see, flies come from garbage. And what, what Solomon is saying here is that when we make decisions apart from the wisdom of God, what we're doing is we're contaminating the situation, that it was never the way that God had intended for it to be. And so what we're making bad decisions in the moment, and what that does is it affects everyone around us. You see, what happens is that when we get wrong information, it will lead us to wrong decisions. You know, if you look back on the wrong decisions that you've made in life, and again, we've all made tons of them, 
And we look at those decisions and we, we say, well, how did I arrive at that answer? How did I arrive at that decision? Well, more likely than not, you probably had the wrong information at the wrong time that led to your wrong decision. That when you thought about the decision, the fork in the road that you had before you, and the information that you had available to you to make that decision, it's likely that if you made the wrong decision, you probably started with the wrong information. And so anytime you start with the wrong information, you don't have a chance to make the right decision. That's one of the things that we see in our world today is when we're making all of these decisions apart from the Word of God, we're going to end up with the wrong result. It doesn't matter what the, the, resu- what the situation is. We try to solve uh, political issues or healthcare issues or social issues or uh, whatever it may be, and we're going to the world and we're going to uh, popular opinion. Well, Jesus wasn't very popular when He was alive, Amen. And so if we're trying to find the popular opinion or the consensus, you know, as uh, Pastor Tony mentioned, uh, you know, several months ago, he said, I didn't know it was a popularity contest. Are we here to do what's right or are we here to do what's acceptable? And that's what the world has, has confined us to believe is that we've just got to do what makes everybody happy. And that's wrong information. And that wrong information will lead you to the wrong results and the wrong decision-making. And so Solomon is saying here, if you allow something even as small as a fly to enter into what God intended to be good, it will contaminate. And so whatever information that you're allowing into your life, well, that question is, what are the sources of information that you're allowing into your life? Where do you get your information? You know, we can all talk about the the bend towards agendas that different sources of information present. And so we could say, well, if you watch this news station or if you read this newspaper, uh, you know, I've got uh, some people, you know, some family members that they, uh, you know, sometimes they, uh, they get all bent out of shape about fake news. And I think to myself, well, where's your source of information? Where are you getting this stuff from? And so it's the same thing in our life. What source of information are you depending upon for godly wisdom? You see, when, uh, when Henry Blackaby wrote Experiencing God, he says that, the, uh, that God speaks to his people through, uh, through other people, uh, through prayer, through circumstances, and specifically through the Word of God. And so every time that I've got a decision that I've got to make, I'm asking myself the question, number one, is what does God's Word say about it? What are other people in my life that I trust that make godly decisions? Are they affirming or denying this decision that I'm making? Are they with me for this? Are they saying, yes, that's what I would do as well? Or are they saying, no, I would not do that? What are the circumstances of my life presented? What is God shaping in my life these decisions in which he intends for me to make? And so when we find ourselves driving for information and saying, well, I don't know what the right thing is to do here, what is your source of information? Because left to ourselves, guess what? You're going to make the wrong decision. I'm going to make the wrong decision. If I say, well, just follow your heart, well, my heart's going to lead me astray. And my heart's going to cause me to do things that I shouldn't do and lead me to places I shouldn't go. And so I can't trust my own heart. (coughs) So what I've got to do is I've got to have people in my life that I can trust that will lead me to the Word of God. You see, if someone asks you, hey, uh, what do you think I should do about this? You know what our first question ought to be back to them is, well, what does God's Word say about it? Have you sought the Lord in this? Have you asked God what He thinks you should do? So oftentimes we make decisions based on past experiences. 
And so wrong information leads to wrong decisions because we allow the wrong source of information in our life. And so as you think about that, and I think it even boils down, uh, I mean, it, it could be anything. It could be the type of music that you listen to, the people that you uh, allow to influence your life, the things that you watch on TV. You see, if there's righteousness that's coming into your life, then righteousness will come out of your life. If there's garbage coming into your life, then garbage will come out of your life. So if you, if you listen to you know, music that uh, doesn't edify and honor God, well, guess what? That's, those thoughts are in your mind. The mind is a battlefield. And so if you're allowing information that doesn't lead you to the Lord uh, into your heart and mind, well, then when that stuff comes out, you can't ask the question why or how because you're ingesting that. You're allowing it to come into your life. If you hang around with people that are cynical or negative all the time and there's always a problem, well, then guess what? You'll start becoming that way. And so you've got to be around things that encourage you, things that lead you to Jesus, things that encourage you to walk closer to Jesus. I mean, think about the people that are in your life that are desperately in love with Jesus. Think about those people. Think about those people that the only thing they care about is what Jesus cares about. I mean, there's not a lot of those people in your life, unfortunately. But think about those people. Aren't those people the type of people that you yearn to be around, that you love to be around, that you want to be around, that you want to be associated with, that you want to follow and walk with? Because why? Because they're going where Jesus is going. I want to be not only around people like that, I want to be that type of person. I want to shine so bright that other people around see Jesus in my life and they say, I just want to be around Matt because he wants to be around Jesus. And so we've got to allow righteousness into our life. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why discipleship groups or D groups are so important is because it causes you to have accountability in your life that forces you to do something that your heart will otherwise tell you not to do and that is to memorize something as an adult. There's nobody in your life that's asking you hard questions if you're not in a discipleship group. There's nobody asking you every seven days to memorize a scripture in the Bible and holding you to that if you're not in a discipleship group. And so we've got to have people in our life that, that push us to Jesus and allow us to make those decisions that will honor God. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so what happens in our life is when we allow, when we make decisions apart from the wisdom of God, we contaminate the situation. Number two, when we make those decisions, we distract from the intended purpose. There is a distraction in our life and the lives of those that are around us. You see, dead flies distract from the smell of the perfume. Solomon writes here, he says that it gives off a stench. That was not the intended purpose of the perfume. But because of the dead fly, it began to distract. And you see, in our lives, it's oftentimes the small things that cause the biggest problems. You can be having a great day, and someone can say something, one thing negative to you or about you, or you hear something said to or about you negative, and all of a sudden, it just derails your entire day. I mean, has that ever happened to you? It's the small things that cause the biggest problems in life. I've shared this story before, and reluctantly I'll share again, uh, but several years ago I owned a boat, and I was so excited about this new boat that I had bought. It was used, but it was new to me, and 
Uh, so uh, no one in my family uh, has a boat, and so my dad loves to go out on the water. So, I, you know, I have this boat, and I was so excited. So we drove to Meridian and invited my dad, and, hey, I'm going to take you out on the boat, Dad. And so we go, and we get on the boat, we launch, uh, we crank the boat, we take off, I, you know, throttle down, and we're going good. We're starting to plane out on the water. We're at Okatibi Lake. And we get about, I don't know, 500 yards or so out, maybe 1,000. You know, we were pretty good distance away. And I hammered it. I, I, I put it all the way down. Well, when I did that, it began to choke out and die. And so I thought, no problem. I'm sure, you know, maybe there was trash in the fuel line or something. It's not a big deal. We'll just crank it up and enjoy our time on the water. Now, we've been on the water all of like five minutes. Well, after two hours of trying to crank the boat, we decided to give up, and we called uh, one, the Pat Harrison uh, waterway and said, hey, can you come tow us in? And so they thankfully came and uh, hooked a, a rope to us and towed the boat in. Well, I took it to the shop, and they fixed it, and so uh, we went out again. And that happened 14 times. Now, you may say that that was dumb on your part to take it out 14 times. I say it was persistent. I was persistent. I wanted to make this thing work. So finally, uh, I found a guy in Jackson. I'd taken it to three or four shops, and I took it to, uh, there was a guy in Jackson said, oh, yeah, if you bring it to Jackson, I'll fix it. And I said, well, I mean, okay. So I drove to Jackson, left the boat for a week. Seven days later, I get a phone call. Hey, Mr. Davis, we fixed your boat, which, by the way, does mean break out another thousand. And uh, so I called, uh, you know, he says, hey, I got it. He called me back. And I said, well, okay, great, I'm coming to get it. Uh, but I have to know, I can't wait, I've got to know what is wrong with the boat. And he said, well, we traced the boat, you know, we did this and we did that. And he said, you'll never believe what was wrong with it. I said, I want to know, please tell me. He says, well, you just had a poor connection on your fuel pump. Everything was connected properly. It was just a poor connection on the fuel pump that was not pumping enough uh, gasoline for the boat to go. And so all of this time, there was this one little wire that was not connected properly, and all of a sudden, it ruins my entire boat experience, which, by the way, I do not own the boat anymore. I sold the boat as soon as possible. And so we've got this, you know, I've got this amazing thing, this boat that was meant for fun, and, you know, I'm taking my father out, we're going to have this great time, but because of this small little thing, it ruined the entire experience. And we could all say the same thing about experiences and decisions that we made in our life, that it was the small things that make the biggest difference. I mean, if, if you've ever been at home at 2 a.m. and you have a seven-pound human in your life who's hungry, you know what I'm talking about, right? Screaming at the top of their lungs because they want milk and it's 2 a.m. in the morning and all normal humans are asleep, but yet this baby wants something to eat. The smallest things make the biggest differences sometimes. Or you may have heard it said this way before, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And so here's this perfume that's meant to be a pleasing aroma, but now it's distracted from its intended purposes. You see, godly decisions in our life is what God intended us to do. He intended for us to make decisions that would point towards Him. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15, if you're in a D group, you read this here just recently. He says, For we uh, are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are the aroma. So let me ask this question. Are the decisions that we're making... 
and the lifestyles that we're leading, is it an aroma that leads people to Jesus? Lost or saved, is our lifestyle an aroma that honors God and that leads people to Jesus? You see, when we make decisions, those decisions should, should not only lead us on the path uh, to where God intends for us to go, but it is also, God doesn't waste anything. And so God uses those moments in our life not only to lead us, but also to lead other people. Think about the decisions that you've made in your life. They didn't just affect you. They affected everybody around you. Because why? Because God doesn't waste anything. And so when we make godly decisions, I want you to ask these three questions. When you have a decision to make, ask the question number one, is will this decision honor God? Will this decision honor God? Whatever it is that you're about to do, whether it's a small decision or a huge life decision, whatever it is that you're about to do, ask yourself, does this honor God? Will this bring glory to God if I do this? The second question that I encourage you to ask is, is this a mountain to die on? You see, we all have decisions to make, and there's things that we're uh, greatly uh, convicted or very passionate about. But is, is it a mountain to die? Is this something that you're, you're saying that I'm staking my life on this, that I, I'll stand behind this decision, that it will honor God, that this is what God wants me to do no matter what? You know, a lot of times in church, uh, in, in churches that I've been uh, experienced uh, in the past, uh, that you know, there's a lot of things that matter that shouldn't matter. Now, thankfully, you know, at Michael, we're focused on, uh, you know, the things that God intends for us to do. But unfortunately, uh, I've experienced some things in the past where people were focused on things that didn't matter. I was reading an article the other day by Tom Rainer, who's the president of Lifeway, and he was talking about some of the silly things that had happened in business meetings. And did you know that there's a church in the United States who spent six hours at a business meeting trying to decide what uh, type of lawnmower blades to buy for the church lawnmower? Is anybody here willing to stay for six hours to discuss the size, the type of lawnmower blades to buy? I mean, that's silly, right? I mean, but crazier things have happened for lesser reasons, if that even exists. I mean, you've heard of, of things that have happened in the past, right, from, from other churches that focus on things that don't matter and argue about things that have no kingdom significance. And so the question that when we make a decision is, is this a mountain to die on? Is this worth me staking my life on? So will it honor God? Is it a decision? Is this a mountain to die on? And number three is, will this point other people to Jesus? Well, whatever decision I'm about to make, will people see Jesus through this? See, oftentimes, bad decisions, uh, or every time, decisions made apart from the wisdom of God, they contaminate and distract us from what it is that God intends for us to do. So those questions will help guide you because, number three, uh, what often happens with those decisions is that they will deceive you. Decisions made apart from the wisdom of God will deceive you. He says that uh, the fool's decision, uh, it says a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And so the fool's decision appears to outweigh wisdom and honor. He, the, he goes on to say that the fool walks on the road and he tells everyone that he is a fool. 
And what he's doing is he's deceiving himself because the fool is proud of the fact that he's acting like a fool and he believes that it's okay for him to act like a fool, but he's deceiving himself into believing that whatever he's doing is the right thing. And so the fool walks on the road and he tells everyone, I'm a fool. And so he's making decisions based on the moment. If ever in our world today we've made a mistake, it's that we put band-aids on broken bones. I mean, we look at all the decisions that are being made in our world today, and it's just a temporary solution to a permanent problem. You see, temporary decisions for permanent problems have uh, completely ruined our society. We're, We're not trying to solve problems for, uh, for eternity. We're trying to make decisions just to get to tomorrow. I was talking to Melanie this weekend, my wife, we were talking about, uh, you know, just how oftentimes in life people just simply want to survive. They just want to get by today to get to tomorrow. And I've fallen into that trap sometimes. If I could just make it through today. Well, if I could quote the great theologian Garth Brooks, what if tomorrow never comes? You're supposed to laugh there. That was a joke. But we make these decisions, these temporary decisions, just to get through the moment when in essence what we ought to be doing is digging in and saying, God, what is it that you want me to do here? Don't allow me to be deceived into believing that this doesn't matter because it does. But we allow these small, insignificant things to make big differences in our life and they force us to make temporary decisions for issues that have permanent implications. And so a wise person goes God's way. You're making decisions that say, well, no matter what the cost, I'm going to follow God. But a fool, well, he goes his own way. The fool says, well, you know, whatever the flavor of the day is, that's the decision that I'm going to make. What will people accept today? And whatever people say is acceptable today, well, then that's the decision that I want to make. Well, that's not what God says In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, Solomon writes, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, we all want to make decisions that honor God, but sometimes we make decisions based on what we think is best, not what God thinks is best. And we deceive ourselves into believing that those two are one and the same, but they're not. Because if you follow your heart, you're going to do what you think you ought to do instead of what you think God thinks you should do. And so he he talks about uh, this decision. He says, a wise man's decision or his heart inclines him to the right. Now, the right hand is a picture of protection and power and the very presence of God. And so we look back in the early 90s, there was a movement uh, called the WWJD movement. You've heard of it before? What would Jesus do, right? Right? And so every decision that you make, the question you would ask is, well, what would Jesus do? And bracelets were made, and it became this big fad of some students that decided that they were going to honor God with everything that they did. And, and so every time they had a big decision, it swept the nation. I remember it was this huge thing. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? That's a great question to ask. You know, as he talks about, Solomon talks about uh, the wise man's heart inclines him to the right, that he's going to make the decision that honors God. Or in other words, he's going to ask the question, if Jesus were standing right before me, what decision would he make? And so as we think about those decisions, the question that we'll ask then is, are our decisions representative of that presence or that power of God that lives within us? You see, the right hand is indicative of the presence of God. 
What does the Bible say where Jesus is today? He's the right hand of God the Father, right? That's where Jesus is. And so when we think about the decisions or the WWJD, what would Jesus do, decisions that we make in our life, and we ask the question, well, are our decisions representative of the power that lives within us? Ask that question to yourself. Are you making decisions based upon what God can do, not what you can do? You know, so oftentimes we, we talk Wednesday night, we spend time, uh, as we do every Wednesday night, we ask for prayer requests and we, we talk about the things which need prayer. We, uh, Pastor Rod just mentioned uh, the church in San Antonio and, and we challenge ourselves to spend time tonight in prayer for those people. If you and I don't utilize the power of prayer, what do we use? I mean, where else do we go? I think about John 6 so often when Jesus turned to the disciples and said, hey, are you going to leave me too like all the other people did? And Peter said, Jesus, where else will we go? You have the very words of life. And so in your life and in my life, when we face catastrophe and calamities or decisions in general, they could be great decisions. Where else do we go except for the one who knows everything? But yet, so oftentimes, we depend upon experience or we depend upon someone else's opinion or what is acceptable opposed to the very power that resides within us. If you are a believer here tonight, may I remind you that Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves you. And he follows it up in the latter part of Romans chapter 8 by saying that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And so if the creator of the universe loves us and he placed the Spirit of God inside of us to live a life that honors God. What do we have to fear? We have the power of God at our fingertips. We should live like it. And that would be a great place for someone to insert an amen, right? We should live like that. The decisions that we make ought to be indicative of the great God that we serve. But what we do is we live in safety net Christianity and we say, well, God, I can fathom where this would work out. And so for that reason, that's what I'm going to do in my life. And we live in these safe zones all the time and we dress it up and say it's spiritual. If it were spiritual, we'd be staking our life on it. That's what Jesus did. He stood before the Pharisees, right? He was not afraid. He didn't back down from conversations. The disciples, how many of them were martyred for their faith? Two, three, five, ten? Or how about every one of them? Because they weren't afraid to stand for what they knew what was right. Because Paul said in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, here's all of the reasons that I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I saw him with my own eyes. And how's that, how's that revelation of Jesus present in our life? By the power of a life that's been changed. If you're in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ, and your life has been changed. Otherwise, you don't know the same Jesus that I know. And so if your life has been changed, you possess the power of Jesus Christ, and so we ought to make decisions that are indicative of the power that lives within us. I've already started preaching and nobody's even amening. We've got to live that way. That's how a world sees the aroma of Jesus in our life because we're doing things that are radically different from the world and depending on God to do something that if he doesn't show up, we'll fall on our face. 
God, we're going to fail if you don't show up. God, how in the world can we reach the nations? Only by you. God, how in the world can we reach our neighborhoods? Only by you. How can we do the things? How can we feed 3,000 people on a Sunday with a, a small church like, you know, four or 500 people? How, how can we do those things, God, in the grand scheme of the, of the world in which we live? Only through you and through your power. How does God change people? It's not by your words. It's not by me saying the right things. It's not by me inviting them. It's through the power of the Spirit of God. That's how people are changed. We've got to live that way. How, are, how is the world changed? Why do we talk about people, even in modern day, that are changing the world? It's not because they're living with a safety net under the trapeze bar. It's because they're all in and they're living like the God of which they serve. The decisions are representative of the power that lives within us. You see, this is what happens with a fool. They believe that they're doing the right thing. I got so excited I forgot to turn the slide there. Decisions are representative of the power that lives within us. Fools believe that they're doing the right thing. Nobody's made a stupid decision and said, that was a great decision. No, and the, and the opposite. Nobody's made a great decision and said, well, that was a terrible idea. I mean, they're all in when they make a decision. Think about the dumb things that you've done in your life, and same for me. In the midst of the moment, you thought it was a great idea. You decided, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And then you did it, and at the moment, you thought, yeah, that was the right thing. And then, hence the term, in hindsight, you look back and said, I don't think that was the right thing. He goes on in uh, chapter 10, verse 4, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly, again the parallel, is set in many high places, and rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So he begins to talk about uh, this uh, Fool versus wisdom. And he began, he talks about how, uh, again, in uh, verse 2, a wise man's heart, he says it's the heart that drives or inclines the wise man's decisions. Thy word have I hidden in my heart, Psalms 119.11. Delight yourself in the way of the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, Psalms 37.4. So he's saying that if you replace your desires with God's desires, you infuse the power of the Spirit of God in your life, then you're going to be directed to follow God. You see, decisions that are made from a heart of wisdom are, number one, they're calculated. You know, when we make decisions that honor God, when we make decisions that come from the wisdom of God, we're not making those flippantly. We're being wise, we're being calculated. And Solomon talks about this. He says about the, uh, he says, there's an evil I've seen under the sun, and it's the anger uh, of the ruler that rises against you. He says, don't leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. You see, what happens is anger causes decisions to be made in the heat of the moment. Have you ever made a decision out of anger? I have. And if not everyone, almost every one of those decisions was the wrong decision. You get mad and the blood pressure goes up and whatever made you mad or angry, you make a decision just to solve the here and now, again, a temporary solution to a permanent problem. And it was the wrong thing to do. And you look back and say, man, I wish I had that to do over again. 
You see, calm is the opposite of anger. You can look it up. The dictionary actually says that. And it lays great offenses to rest, as Solomon says. We used to live in a neighborhood, and we had, uh, uh, we had you know, privacy fence, as most people do. And uh, so we, uh, we were out one day, and uh, the neighbor was next door, and, of course, the fence is there. And our dog had uh, been gnawing on the fence. And so uh, it was their fence that separated our line. And uh, so I heard the neighbor talking about the dog, my dog, that had done that, and they were angry. And so they were saying, you know, things that, you know, hey, that shouldn't have happened. And, you know, they need to take care of their dog. And, you know, they, they better, they better, I'm going over there. And so I'm standing in the backyard, I'm listening to all of this. And then all of a sudden they said, I'm going to go over there. And so I realized that, okay, we're about to have a conversation about this. And, uh, and so here, you know, my neighbor comes around and they go to the front door. I'm in the backyard and the doorbell rings. And so I have a choice to make because I know what's about to happen, right? You know what's about to happen. They're angry. They're mad that my dog has torn up their fence. And so I have a choice to make. You've had similar situations before. I have a choice to make. So I go to the door. Melanie's with me. And uh, so we open up the door. And right off the bat, boom, you know, your dog did this, and, and you know, your dog tore up the fence, and, and this, this, and this. And so I just sat there, and I listened. It's amazing what listening will do. And so I just sat there, and I listened, and I said, okay, okay. And so when they were finished, I said, uh, no problem. I, you know, as a matter of fact, I was about to go to Home Depot, which I was. Uh, I'll just grab a couple boards, and uh, I'll fix it, no problem. Well, um, are, you, are you sure? Yeah, it's not, it's not a big deal. I'm, I'm sorry that happened. I, I mean, I, I apologize, but, you know, dogs will be dogs, so I'll just, I'll fix it. It's no big deal. It's just a couple dollars. It's just a board. Oh, oh, well, well, okay then. And so all of a sudden, this, you know, volatile situation all is just diffused just like that. And so Melanie steps up, and, uh, you know, my flesh was, oh, we're going to have a conversation about a dog biting a fence. Really, we're going to talk about that. But then my heart was like, time out here. What's the bigger picture here? And so Melanie steps up and she says, how have you been doing? And all of a sudden, tears start flowing. Starts telling us all the life situations dealing with. And we got an opportunity to pray right there on the front porch. Uh, You know, hey, we're going to pray for you. We're going to encourage you. Now, I had a choice, right? I could have said, well, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, let's argue about it. Let's make a big deal about this fence. We could have done that and, you know, maybe, you know, argued about it. But I just listened. I said, okay, well, um, no problem. I'll fix it. You see, anger, it, it boils up. And then you make these decisions. And then you look back and you say, man, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. What happens in our life is we can't allow the attitude of other people to dictate the decisions that we make. So if we're going to make godly decisions, we've got to be uh, level-headed. We've got to focus on what really matters. Does a $1.64 picket from Home Depot really matter? Temporarily? Maybe? Eternity? Absolutely not. God's not looking down at me saying, man, I can't believe you tore up that board. No, God's saying, hey, you've got neighbors, you've got people that live around you that need to hear the gospel. How will you respond? 
Am I going to argue over $1.64 or am I going to try to be a dispenser of grace? Will this honor God? Will this point people to Jesus? Is this a mountain to die on? Remember the questions that we went over? And so we have opportunities to make the right decisions that will honor God, but they've got to be calculated decisions. When you're confronted with a decision or a situation that you've got to make a decision, you can take a time out. You can say, look, you know, that's a great question. I'm not really sure about that. I want to pray about it. Hey, here's a job offer, and we'd like for you to take this new position. I'm honored that you've given me this opportunity. I'd really like a day to pray about it. Hey, here's this new situation, or here's, hey, here's a neighbor asking you to do something, or a friend. Hey, I'd like for you to go here or do this. You know, I'd love to do that. Can I pray about it and get back to you? You don't have to make the decision. Only you are in control of that moment. And so you can decide, okay, I'm going to make a decision in haste or I'm going to calculate. I'm going to be thought out and methodical and I'm going to make the decision that honors God the most. You're not capable. Our brains don't work fast enough to make decisions like that in the moment. You've got to take a time out. You've got to back up. You've got to consult the Word of God. You've got to consult the people of God and say, God, is this something that you're leading me down? Is this a path? Not is it good. Not is it helpful. Not will it benefit me. But God, is this something that you want me to do? And if it is, God, I'll go. It may not benefit you. It could, but it may not. But it is calculated. You're going to think about it. Number two, a decision made uh, with the wisdom of God is very long-sighted. You're not thinking about today. You see, when it's long-sided, you're thinking about eternity. How will this affect eternity? If I say that, if I do this, if I decide on that, is this just temporary or is this long-term? You see, when we live according to our nature, we only see the present. Because that's all we know, right? All we can see is right now. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so if I live according to my nature, if I live according to my flesh, because all I see is now, all I see is right now, all I I can't see tomorrow, I don't have the ability to see the future, all I can see is what is around me in this moment, if I look with my own eyes and I see things based on my own context, I'm going to make a decision based on right now, which is why I can't do that. I've got to think about it, I've got to pray about it, I've got to ask God to give me eyes to see and ears to hear what the Word of God says about it so I can be eternity-focused. I've got to be long-sighted. You see, we must be eternity-focused in temporary difficulties. It is so easy to solve the hottest iron on the fire. You've heard that before. It is so easy to do that, but it's most often not the right thing to do. And so you've got to take a time out and say, okay, God, I'm going to pause here. I don't know what you want me to do, and this is very hard. And you may be in the midst of that moment, just like Daniel says, hey, you can't pray to the God that you serve. And Daniel says, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is the long-term implications of this? And if Daniel didn't consider the long-term implications of his decision to continue to pray to the God in which he served, we wouldn't be talking about him today. It was long-term. It wasn't beneficial to Daniel It was honoring to God. So we must be eternity focused. And here's the thing. It's so easy. It's easier to be long-sighted when you remember this, that this too shall pass. As Pastor Rod saying earlier uh, that I'll praise you in the valley. Well, you, you praise God in the valley because why? Because he's the God of the valley, right? He's the God of all that there is. He's also the God of the mountaintop. 
And so if we live and we make our decisions based on the mountaintop or in the valley, well, we're not making the right decision because we're basing it on the present context and not being eternity focused. So if you're in a bad situation right now, it'll get better. I don't know how long it'll take, but it'll get better. And if you're on the mountaintop right now and life is as good as it gets, well, that's going to change. It'll pass. And so we have to learn to say, okay, God, what is it that you're teaching me in this moment? What is it that you want me to see? How can I begin to have consistency in making better decisions? Well, the way that you do that is you don't make decisions based on your present context. Because that changes so often. So you've got to be long-sighted. You've got to look further out than right now. You've got to be calculated. And last but not least, you've got to be Christ-focused. We've got to focus on Jesus. John, we'll get to in chapter 14, verse 6, one of my favorite verses. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. And so when you have conversations with people, I've said this before, that don't follow Jesus or don't believe the way that you believe, we're, we're not getting into debates about theology and ivory tower conversations. We've got to start at what really matters and agree that Jesus is the only way. And so we've got to be Christ-focused. And so you can choose to see your circumstances or, as Solomon re- uh, refers to, the anger of a ruler uh, as an attack. You can say, well, you're attacking me. Or you can see them as an attempt to find true meaning. You can see them as an attempt to find true meaning. Just like my neighbor conversation. Is this really about the fence? Or are there other things in your life that are really bothering you? And this is just the culmination of all of those. You see, in every situation that we make, we are either pointing people to Jesus or away from Him. We're either encouraging them to to come to the Savior who loves us in spite of our failures, or we're encouraging them to run away from the Savior who loves us in spite of our failures. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, Do nothing with selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. When I first read, uh, when I was studying through and was reading uh, the verses for tonight, uh, he said, Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sits in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Does that remind you of something? New Testament, Jesus says what? The first will be last, and the last will be first. Paul's saying, hey, look, don't don't be selfish, uh, but count other people more significant than yourselves. Look each not uh, only to your own interests, but also to the interests of other people. Then in the uh, last verses that we'll look at tonight, verses 8 through 11, Solomon says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries, verse 9, he who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer, verse 11. So what Solomon is doing here is he's closing this section uh, with the potential dangers and the daily tasks that we face without wisdom. The dangers that we face if we don't use wisdom as our barometer. 
So Solomon's saying, look, you, you can do many things. He says, digging a pit or you can tear down a wall. Uh, and so digging a pit and tearing down a wall, they teach us that wise choices are made with preparation or they're calculated. That you're preparing to do those things. That you're training to be uh, who God wants you to be. And so as you allow righteousness into your life and as you build your uh, wisdom muscle, so to speak, that you will begin to make decisions that honor God. That you'll begin to make decisions that point people to Jesus. And you do that, you, you're, uh, you do that with preparation. You don't dig a pit for no reason. You don't tear down a wall without intention, right? There's something that you're doing with that. And so uh, by making wise decisions, what we're doing is we're learning to prepare. Pits are dug and walls are torn down in order to prepare for something else. So the principle that we learn from that is wisdom is very careful where it walks. One of the things we try to teach our kids is guilt by association. Wisdom is very careful where it walks. So then the latter part, he says, uh, he talks about quarrying stones uh, and being hurt by them or splitting logs and being endangered by them. Well, quarrying stones and splitting logs teach us that wise choices are made with intention. You're doing it on purpose. You're not flippant about the things that you decide, that there's, there's intention with it. So you're preparing to do something intentional. So the principle that we learn from that is that wisdom is not only careful uh, where it walks, but it's also careful how it works. There's a lot of things that you could do with your life. There's a lot of places you could be. There's a lot of things you could give your time to. But you're careful with wisdom how you work. You're careful how you work. You're careful what you give your, th- your life to. You're careful what you give your time to. You're careful what you give your abilities or your talent to. You're saying, okay, is this the best use of my time to honor the kingdom of God? And so I, I want to leave you with three questions to ask. And again, hopefully you can use these characteristics uh, of uh, decisions made apart from the wisdom of God when you ch- uh, face a choice or decisions made with or characteristics of decisions made with uh, the wisdom of God. And so here's three questions that you can ask yourself when you make those decisions. So the next time you make a decision, ask, how did I arrive at this decision? So when you, you, you apply all of this that we've talked about tonight and you get to the decision, then just to check yourself, you ask, how did I arrive at this decision? Did I, did I seek godly wisdom? Was I calculated? Am I preparing to make this decision? Am I thinking about not just today, but I'm long-sighted with my decision? Is this going to honor Jesus? How did I arrive at this decision? What input did I allow? What sources of information did I pull in? Number two, what are the long-term implications of this? What are the long-term implications of this? Is this just going to affect today, and will I have to revisit this, or is this something... That'll have long-term implications. So, number one, how did I arrive at this? Number two is what are the long-term implications? And last but not least is who will benefit the most from this decision? You see, if we make decisions only based upon how it benefits me, well, then I'm probably not making the best decisions. So if we ask the question, well, who will benefit the most from this? Well, it helps us to understand that there's other people involved in this equation called life, that God intends to use your decision to to reach them. 
And so if you only make decisions that uh, benefit you, well, then you're not making the decisions that ultimately honor God because every decision that you make shouldn't benefit you only. Because why? Because life is about us. It's not about me. And so I hope tonight you're able to take some of these characteristics uh, from chapter 10 that Solomon gives us and apply it to the decisions and the choices that you make in life.